Well, hello there, and welcome to episode seven of Stories from a Bar. I'm your host, Chris Osborne, and joining me for this episode is beer scholar slash enthusiast, Craig Gravina. I like I, scholar. scholar. I like that. I, I read it for your book description, it I It makes believe. me sound way smarter than I actually <laughs> am. <laughs> How are you doing on this fine summer, summer evening? I'm doing great. It, we're inside. It's not uh, 98, 99 degrees in here. So. Oh, yes. Thank God. There's nothing and, like there's, and plus, we have beer to keep us, you know, yeah. well hydrated. <laughs> I'm not sure that that works that way, but okay. I, I'll settle for that. I have no problem with that. Thanks for being on the show. I'm sure you're a busy guy. Thank you for having me. Uh, and I should mention we're recording this episode at the Albany Pump Station here in Albany, of course. Uh, also home of C.H. Evans Brewing Company. Super old company. I did not realize how old it was. It's it been is. a few years since I've actually been here. Yeah. So... The, the owner of this place. Well, no. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Sorry. I should probably mention that uh, for those that don't know, Craig is the co-founder of the Albany Ale Project and a co-author of the book Upper Hudson Valley Beer. But first, before we jump into any of that, what are you drinking? We're drinking a little Albany Ale. We're the Albany li- Ale. Yeah, we're drinking a little uh, little 19th century Albany Ale recreation. The uh, whole inspiration behind the Albany Ale Project? Ex- yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right, it's and a po- it's a potent little puppy too. It, it, it nine point seven percent, something like that, which is <laughs> why it's not in a full pint glass. Yeah, I, uh, I that would be hard to take a full pint glass of nine point seven. Well, maybe. Well, in years past, I may have had a few more than one <laughs> pint glass of it. I'll take a drink of it right now too. <laughs> mm, so that's what a two hundred year old beer tastes like. Well, let's say 150 years. Okay. Right, you know, but, but 50 years between Tomato, friends. tomato. Right. <laughs> this one. Um, yeah, so we're here at the Albany Pump Station. Uh, been around a long time. Now, I the name confuses me. Is this the pump station and home of the C.H. Evans Brewing Company? All right, so here's the deal with uh, the Evans brand, right? Because this so has the, always the, been a little confusing. Right, the guy that owns it now is Neil Evans, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, C.H. Evans is Cornelius Evans, right? Cornelius Neal, break it down. Yep. So Neal is in that lineage of, uh, of, of C.H. Evans, right? The brewery opened originally in the 1840s and 1850s, not by the Evans family. Robert Evans buys into it in the 1860s. All right. Um, but it, it, the, the brewery actually dates all the way back to like the 1780s. In Hudson, New York. Yeah. So there was a brewery that has sort of this continuing line since the late 18th century. And Neil's sort of continuing that, right? They, they operated up until Prohibition. They closed. He opened the brewery in the in the early 1990s. Actually, like mid-1990s. I think it was, um, looking at the website, 1999, they actually 19, moved right, to so Albany? In the, in, the, in, the, in not the late, the, in not the early 1990s, the... <laughs> The, the late 1990s. Don't correct me ever again, hey, so, by the way. That's true. You're the scholar. <laughs> Don't ever correct me. Um, but, uh, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Neil not too long ago about this, and he had said, you know, you know, Hudson sort of had a little bit of a renaissance, but when they were opening the brew pub, like, Hudson was sort of a, you know, sort of a, a dying industrial town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he decided to open up here in Albany. They had this great building. It used to be the, 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 the water pumping station for the city. You yeah. Know, they'd, they'd pump water out of um, the Hudson River and send it across the city. And it was sort of an abandoned building. He came in, got a historic preservation award for, for the work that he did in here. And they've been, they've been here since 99 and uh, have been doing gangbusters. They've been making great beer. They've had a couple of, of different brewers that have worked here and 
But through that that constant, uh, Neil's owned the building and sort of continuing on that. that it's an impressive name. building, and I love this. It's just huge, open, and all brick. Yeah, and the brick <laughs> is, yeah, it's 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 great. I know um, they're planning like a sort of a little facelift here in the next couple of weeks, and it's good. You know, they're gonna throw a couple of cuts of paint on and. And it's actually, if you come here, you can actually see pictures of, of the Evans Brewery. They oh, have. it was awesome sitting at the bar having my pregame beer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just looking at the old signs. Like I said, I haven't been here in a couple of years, so it's almost like it's new to me again. But, uh, yeah, the giant open space, the old advertisements hanging on the wall from, yeah. like, the late 1800s. And, and Evans was actually known as being a... a a pale ale brewer, but specifically an India pale ale brewer, right? That was before Prohibition. You see a lot of their advertisements for Evans India Pale Ale. And I got into a conversation a while back on Facebook uh, with Mitch Steele from, uh, he's with New Realm now, but he's, you know, was the sort of uh, 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 brewmaster general at, um, at Stone for years and years and years. All right. Um, and he wrote a book about the history of IPA and specifically <laughs> American IPA. Yeah, but almost halfway through yeah, that 9.7. Specifically American IPA and sort of how, how IPA was brewed and, and how it came about. And uh, he talks fairly extensively about the, the Evans Brewery. So it's kind of cool to have that right here in our backyard. It, it really is. I was actually pretty shocked. And um, we'll get into the Albany Ale Project in a second. I also, one last shout out for the pump station. I've never been up in the mezzanine area, so shout out to them for letting us hang out up here. It's quiet. It is quiet. It's intimate. <laughs> so if you have a gathering plan, the pump station can handle your gathering. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the Albany Ale Project. Or first, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself, actually? <laughs> I am yes, just let's skipping through my me. notes. <laughs> you're a lo- Now, were you born in Chicago, but you're still a local guy? Yeah. Right, that's my favorite line. I was born in Chicago, but nothing exciting has ever happened in Chicago. Never heard that's of it. That's why I talk about Albany. Never right? heard I mean, of it. Albany, Chicago. There's no, there's no parallel. Nope. It's Albany wins every time. Um, yeah, I was born in Chicago, but I've lived in Albany really since I was in like middle school. Uh, lived in, went to Bethlehem Central High School. Yep. Go oh, Eagles. all right. Yeah, and uh, got into the. The beer thing, we were talking early before we started recording, we were talking about the Big House Brewing Company, and that was one of my first jobs out of college, was working for them and doing all their advertising. I'm a That's cool. exhibit designer and a graphic designer. That's really cool. And uh, one of the things that we wanted to capitalize when we were there was sort of the, the beer history of Albany, really sort of focusing on prohibition, and uh, so that was like my first kind of foray into, into beer history, local beer history at least. Yeah. So that's how you became interested in the history of brewing then, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so what is what exactly is the Albany Ale Project? I forgot, uh, I believe, I know I stumbled I stumbled across it, I think on Twitter. I found out, uh, I follow a Twitter called Discover Albany, advertising for historical brew tours. Right, right. And it so. sent me down a little bit of a rabbit hole, and yeah. I came across the Albany Ale Project because you're the guy that does the historical brew tours. Right. So, um, Discover Albany, first of all, they're my buddies, right? I do a lot of stuff with them. They are the, like, sort of cultural tourism and, like, even not cultural tourism. It, they it's do a lot a, of food stuff. It's, it's really, it's a promotion of the businesses and um, just everything that's great about 
the city of Albany. It is. Um, yeah, I forgot. I forgot how I found the Twitter feed to begin with, but I stumbled across it. And it's been putting up great stuff that I would have never known about other yeah. if I wasn't following they, it. Now. They do a lot of pushing of like local restaurants and local businesses. And um, I hooked up with my friend Maeve. She does a like an amazing job in sort of coordinating the public programs and stuff that they do. What is the Albany Ale Project? So it's probably a probably a loaded question. Like like backtrack for Obvi- a obviously the beer scholar and we just talked a lot of a little bit about history <laughs> yeah. so that's all part of it all right so it's got to be eight, eight or nine years at this point i started writing about beer just you know i was a beer blogger and uh i was just writing about the beers that i've had and tasting beer and liking beer and and you know the like i mentioned earlier the big house i started working there in the in the mid to late '90s, that was sort of my uh, first professional foray into uh, the beer world. I was even in college, uh, going to the early '90s and late '80s. You know, I always liked like I went to RIT in Rochester. We'd go to Beers of the World and buy a bunch of beer. Oh, yeah. And coming back to the mid 2000s and starting to write about beer, it was something that I kind of always wanted to do. And I found that while I liked blogging, I didn't really like what I was writing about. I felt like a lot of people were already writing what I was writing. There's only so many things that can be said about a certain topic. Right. I mean, um, it's that way with pretty much any topic, really. And I noticed, as I, I mean, like I said, I've always been sort of a history buff, and I noticed that there was a, a bit of a vacuum on at that point on American beer history. And I knew the sort of prohibition story of Albany, and there's a, a, a really well-known beer historian named Ron Pattinson, who, who is, um, he's laser focused when it comes to investigating British and European beer records and, and a little bit of American beer records and sort of culling through those beer records and sort of myth busting. And I, I found his blog and I got to, got to know him and I, and I was like, he lives in, he's, he's British, but he lives in the Netherlands. All right. And he lives in Amsterdam. And I said, would you be interested in finding out more about New Netherland beer, you know, colonial New York beer. And of course he said yes, because he's a <laughs> history guy. Yeah, of course. And I started looking for for references to New Netherland and Albany, and I came across this other gentleman's blog. And at the time it was called a, a Good Beer Blog, and it was written by this guy named Alan McLeod, who had found an advertisement in a Newfoundland newspaper. Newfoundland? Or uh, Canadian five, province. Let's leave it at yeah, that. On somewhere in Ontario. Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, for something called Albany Ale, and it came, it was from the 1840s. And his question basically was, "What the heck is Albany Ale?" And I said, oh, "I'm looking for. Do you know Ron? I'm looking for stuff for Ron, and and I'll look into Albany Ale with you." And um, that was the start of a beautiful friendship. <laughs> <laughs> and Al and I have been have been partners for years, and uh, we are we have sort of similar interests and sort of divergent interests in the history of brewing in the Upper Hudson Valley. Um, well, he's based in Kingston, right? Kingston, Ontario, Kingston, Ontario, which is right on the St. Lawrence, right? And there there is a shared history between New York and especially northern uh, the the north the northeast, yeah. and Ontario. And he's, he's interested in that shared history. Uh, he's also interested in the sort of British connection to colonial America. 
I am interested in the in the early Dutch periods and then the later periods of what's happening in the mid nineteenth century and the phenomenon of, of uh, Albany Ale. So we work fairly well together. We're, we're sort of covering all of our bases. So you're kind of uh, similar but slightly different type interests that exactly, help the other right? person out. Yeah, we sort of we sort of balance each other out and. Um, we're we're doing research, but we're not sort of stepping on each other's toes when it when it comes to this, and it it, it really it, it it was clear to us that there was a story that needed to be told, and we both agreed pretty early on that we wanted to contextualize beer history. We both noticed that if you look at, at a lot of beer history writing, it's about the history of let's say porter or the history of IPA. Mm-hmm. It's not saying it's not saying why did why did certain beer styles develop because of what was happening around them historically? Okay. You know, so Albany Ale is a perfect example of this. Albany Ale and the history of brewing in the upper Hudson Valley sort of follows this, um, trajectory. Is that a word? Trajectory? Did I just make up a word? I think I just made up a word. Trajectory. Trajectory of going from a colonial period all the way up to a fully industrialized period of the mid 19th century. And, how war, how the Erie Canal, how um, culture and a, and a clash of culture between the British, between the Dutch, between Americans affected the beer and, and how the beer that was being drank affected the people that lived in these areas. And it's, for me, I, I don't know, your listeners could give a shit about this, but <laughs> uh, I, I find it fascinating. I find it, I find it more fascinating to talk about the whys rather than the the hows. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, well, like, was, I mean, and, and I do like the nuts and bolts of like kind of figuring out old recipes, but I want to know, like, why did this area become a major brewing center? Well, it was funny. I was, I was um, there's a section on your website of the, the uh, about Albany Ale section that has like, I don't know if it's an abbreviated history of the whole story there, five or six pages. Which is really stuff. tough to do, by the way. <laughs> Even in five to six I'm web like, pages, there was, and I read through it. Years. Oh, I read through it, and it's just—you could tell—it's just so jam-packed. But I was actually really surprised with all the names I recognized and their connection to brewing. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you know, it's funny—it's it's not just like names you recognize; it's like town names. Exactly. You know, Gansfort's a perfect example of that. The Gansfort family. Is it for those who, who are listening outside of the... Uh, out of, uh, that would, out of that would be approximately, I believe, exit 16 on 87 North, Appa- the North been, Way. You, apparently, you've been to Gansford. I used to deliver flowers. <laughs> I did a lot of driving. <laughs> so, like, the Gansfords, we're, we're brewers... That's, and that's all I know about Gansford, <laughs> is that it's an exit on the so North Way. I mean, uh, what people around here, if anybody does actually know who the Gansfords are... The reason is is that um, Peter Gansfort, at the end of the 19th century, was a, a was a, a well known uh, soldier, uh, an officer in the American Revolution. Right, he is Fort Stanwix out going towards Utica in the Rome area, was involved with stopping stopping the advance from the west to Saratoga during the Battle of Saratoga. Okay, he he commanded that that fort. So there's the siege of Fort Stanwix, and he's you know like he's there. But his family were brewers in Albany for literally centuries. And uh, he has a brewery that he operates after the war that had, he closes it in 1805. And that's significant, not 
not because he closes the, the, the brewery in 1805 and he was a brewer in the 1790s, but he closes his family brewery that had operated for 150 years. And we're talking at this point, 1805, we're talking about 60 years before the American uh, Civil War. And it's a that's, long time. And that's really important when you're talking about what makes Albany sort of unique is that there's a, and it, going back to this contextualizing, there is a, there is a, uh, a unified brewing industry in Albany way before a lot of the other colonies in, mm-hmm. in, in, uh, on the eastern seaboard. I mean, there's something, there's a lot of stuff happening in New York City and Philadelphia, but if you get down south, I mean, I, I, I'm supposed to be speaking at an engagement in Williamsburg, and I was going back and forth with um, um, the, their director of foodway, foodways down there, and I asked him, I said, how many breweries were operating in Williamsburg between, let's say, 1650 and 1700? And his answer to me was, we know that there was one at the College of William and Mary, and there may have been one outside the city limits, but in Albany, at that period, 1615 to 1700, there were 8 to 12 breweries. Wow. So there is, there is a unified brewing industry really early on in Albany. It's funny to think that this city was actually basically built on brewery, brewing. It was. It was a, it was a, major, it was a major thing. And these guys weren't like hard scrabble brewers. Like you think of, of colonial folk. They were really wealthy people that came here, that had a little bit of money before they came here, could buy the equipment, could get these breweries up and running, and, and, and make, it was, it was, it was an industry. It was, they were, they were industrial processes. They were owning farms where grain was being grown. They were owning farms where hops were being grown. They were making and selling and trading beer, using it as, as, as money. They were, they were making beer for city government to use, uh, we know that in 1695, Albert Reichman, who would eventually become the mayor of the city of Albany, was making beer on behalf of the Albany Common Council to pay off debts to the clerk of the city of New York. Oh, wow. Yeah, just like beaver pelts, right? Beaver yeah. pelt were, beaver, beaver was, a, that's why Albany was founded, where it was, a beater, it was an outpost and a, and a trading center on beaver pelts. Right behind that is beer. It's kind of right. mind-boggling. I love this because you're looking at me like you're completely enthralled. Like I said, I'm, and I'm not letting you talk either. And no, it's no, this better. is it's it's fascinating. Like I said, I uh, you wrote a book, Upper Hudson Valley Beer. I actually was able to pick up a copy, but I again, I'm not giving you your money back on that. Classic joke. <laughs> uh, it wasn't it, funny the first time. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't funny when we told it to me at the bar. <laughs> but uh, I haven't had a chance to jump into it that far yet i'm only like 10 pages in because i just picked it up this weekend but so a lot of this i don't know yet and like i said it was it's i'm a gonna giant, ruin the book for you it's it's fine there's a lot of pictures in there <laughs> yeah. i noticed you took up a lot of space with pictures yeah <laughs> big big fonts yeah it's uh yeah it's a it's before we get back to that let's circle back to the beer we're drinking so this is a re- recipe you came across of the original a variation of the original albany ale is that all right, so that you worked in conjunction with uh, the pump station. Here? Yeah, so there's a couple of different sources that we that we use to recreate this beer with. We have well, how'd um, you come across the recipe? Did you just it's research? Oh, just research. Yeah, it's research, baby, research. <laughs> Not just walking down the street. And no, no, a crumpled no. It didn't, piece it didn't of paper. fall on my lap. Yeah, I I'll be honest. I made the whole thing up. No, um, it's pretty good. So we we have a couple of of brewing records at our disposal this is basically what what the 
high-end Albany ale of the mid-19th century would have been. So uh, 18, at the height of what Albany ale was. Do we know for sure exactly that this is, you know, and we're also recreating it on a modern system, right? So yeah. They're, they're, yeah, we, I, Obviously, I fully, it's not going to be an identical. I fully acknowledge that there's probably some, some differences to it. What's important for this beer is that it's strong. I mean, that was one of the hallmarks of Albany Ale, is that it's strong. Strong. Well over 9.5%. This is actually on the low end of that, on what Albany We know um, there was a, uh, a chemist and a doctor and a physician in Albany in the 1830s, 1840s, and 1850s who analyzed um, Albany Ale and compared it against other beer, known beer styles of the time, like London Porter, Edinburgh Ale. He put... Albany Ale in alcohol by weight, which was the really? sort of common way of, of measuring alcohol at that point, at 7.67 in barrels. Oh, wow. And at 10 plus in, in bottles. Converting alcohol by weight to alcohol by volume, that puts this beer somewhere in the nine and a quarter percent uh, <laughs> it, it, to 13%. That's sort of the range that we see Albany Ale. It's pretty good range. Yeah, right. That's pretty strong stuff. We know its makeup. We know what the beer was in. In the 1830s, there was a guy named Edward Delavan who accused the Albany brewers of using foul water to malt their beer with. Malt their their grain with, excuse me. Yeah. Well, there was was, back then it was actually safer to drink beer than it was just the regular water right it wasn't particularly good to use the, the water that they were that they were using in the in these malt houses they were pulling from stagnant ponds or ponds that had dead animals in them or creeks that ran through cemeteries yeah so it wouldn't I like get, a little death in my beer right it wasn't yeah there's a lot of death in your beer <laughs> so there was a whole there was a whole court case in which this guy accused the albany brewers of doing this to the tune of like $300,000 and libel cases against him. Holy $300,000 in the 1830s is millions of dollars. That, yeah. And the case that, that the sort of that makes national headlines is, is between him and, and John Taylor. John Taylor owns the largest brewery in the United States at that point. Okay. Because Taylor brings a, 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 a libel case against Delavan, it's not a criminal case. It's not anything like that. He actually loses the case. Taylor loses the case. Taylor Delavan and his lawyers prove that they really are using bad water, and it and it sort of it's really sort of the first shot across the bow where beer gets brought into the temperance movement. Delavan is actually a staunch, not temperance guy. He's a prohibitionist. Like temperance right. guys were like, if you're gonna drink. Drink in moderation. Yep. Don't drink really strong beer. Don't drink whiskey. Don't drink whatever. Like, if you're going to drink, you know, drink occasionally. If you're going to do it, be safe. Yeah. Delavan was, alcohol is bad. He actually goes against the church and goes and, and advocates against sacramental wine. And, oh, wow. Right. So he wasn't even real, really well-liked in, in, the, in the temperance movement. Uh, he is a propagandist, and he knows he's not going to bring down the brewing industry in Albany. What he... What he wants to do is he wants to bring beer into the fray and he does that what ends up happening is before the court case the new york state senate brings a whole bunch of brewers from albany troy new york city basically the hudson valley in to say what are you using in your beer 
And they all say the same thing. We're using the best grain. We're using the best water. We're using the best What hops. you would expect them to right. say. Right. They're all, taking a, they're all taking a party line. Yeah. There are a couple of them that really get into the nitty-gritty. And there's a guy from Troy who uh, lays out the range of how much grain he's using per barrel, how much hops he's using for barrel. He's throwing a little salt in there. He's throwing in some honey for his pale beers. We, so we know per barrel what a beer that was being made in the upper Hudson Valley in the, in the mid-1830s to 1850s was. Oh, wow. We also have access to Matthew Vassar's records, um, Vassar Ooh, College, yep. right? That's where I was just going to say. That's where he made his money from, is brewing. Or, and that's how he opened the college. But there's, but, uh, there's a lot of kids there that don't know that. Yeah, exactly, right? So go so to get Vassar to, and go drink. Go to Vassar and drink. And drink. That's the lesson I just pulled from this. We have his records that have, like, he's, what he's making is very similar to what's being made in, in Albany at the same time. He's one of the brewers that testifies. He is considered, even though that he's in Poughkeepsie, 90 miles south of here, he's, he's considered an Albany Ale brewer. Albany mm-hmm. Ale sort of exemplifies what is being brewed in this area and, more importantly, being exported. That's, that's the key. All of this beer is, is, not all of it, but the majority of the beer that's being made in the Upper Hudson Valley is being sent elsewhere. Uh, and far, pretty far away. Pretty too, far right? away. Yeah. So we know from Vassar, like, the temperatures that he's malting at and how long he's boiling so we can put all this stuff together and we can kind of extrapolate information to get a pretty good idea of how these and it's not from a single source either we have we have beck's analysis of the beer in the 1830s and 1840s about how strong it is and we have uh vassar's brewing records about what he's making we have reed's testimony um to the to the uh uh, the the Senate, so we can kind of put all of that together to come up with a pretty good approximation of what these beers were like. That is pretty crazy. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of work. That it absolutely sounds a lot like of, it. a lot of like culling through records and. So, what's been the biggest surprise to you then, in just digging through the history? The the ABV thing was pretty <clears throat> cool, right? To 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 realize like what was being reported. So those numbers that we saw of. Um, 7.67 to 10.5%. Yep. And, and you see those numbers repeated, repeated, repeated from when Beck does the analysis. And it's because the temperance movement sort of jumps on that, right? They say, look how strong the spear is. You shouldn't be drinking it. That gets repeated all the way from the 18, late 1830s all the way up until the 1880s. You see it over and over and over. And Albany Ale was this. was this. And then that sort of put two and two together. I mean, it became so commonplace to see those numbers that it wasn't that I all of a sudden, I read an, a newspaper article and they said they were referring to it as like a common weight. And I went, oh shit, that's alcohol by weight, not by volume. And to recalculate, and you're like, that, so the beer that we thought was strong to begin with was even stronger. <laughs> that's a fun right? surprise. Yeah. At least, and you learn that before you drink it. <laughs> right? Yeah, right, before we even made it. Um, <laughs> The other surprise, and this was sort of a, it was a slow burn surprise of how widespread and, and how well-known Albany Ale was in such, a, in such a big area. You know, like by the mid-1850s, Albany Ale was definitely in every major city on the East Coast. Well, I mean, I was certainly surprised to hear the ad was found in Ontario, Canada. Right, before. right. Like, so that's oh, all right. But that's not that far no, from, that's from not, where we are. I mean, that's not far when you think about it, but 
the idea of it being another country, technically. Yeah. It's like, oh, okay. And we're seeing, you know, we see it in... We see... The, the earliest reference to something actually called Albany Ale is in New York City in 1805. Okay. We're seeing it in Washington, D.C. within a couple of years from that. We see it in Boston. You see it in Charleston. You see it in Raleigh, North Carolina. You start seeing it by the 1820s in New Orleans. A lot of military cities. A lot of... I mean, that's just where... That's where... Big cities. You know, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Sort of the eastern seaboard. Yeah. Port towns. Yep. Um, you see it, you know, in New York newspapers, you see it sort of all over New York, especially around the Canal Corridor. And But when you start seeing it in... We saw it in Suriname in the late 1840s, right? There, oh, you're wow. About, you're talking about South America. Yeah. And then by the mid to late 1850s, you're seeing it in Hawaii. Not a lot of it. You know, it's, it's, it is by no means um, the sort of India Pale Ale sort of export idea where, where, there's, where it's just going, you know, India Pale Ale is going to yep. India. It's staying locally in England. It's also coming to the United States, coming to the Caribbean. Everywhere. Um, but there is, there is a noticeable amount of Albany Ale in uh, Hawaii by, before the Civil War. Well, that's pretty impressive. In, in, the, in the years before the Civil War. So, yeah. It's definitely in California, so it, it, that, that was a, that's a big thing, to, to, to be able to see that. And, 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 and just the, the longevity of brewing in the, in, in the area is, I don't know if, it, if I want to say it's a surprise, it's just something that I'm enamored with. Yeah. So is there a direction you want to see the Albany Ale Project go in? Are you guys working on anything in particular, or is it just basically continuous research? It's continuous research. You know, we're always trying to dig up new information. I'd love to get some, like, records of it in the Caribbean. We know that it went to the Caribbean. I would love to see records of Albany beer being exported out prior to the early 19th century. I'd like to see 18th century. We get... Some references to Albany Strong Beer. We know that, that, that there are a number of breweries operating at the end of the, 19, uh, end of the 18th century. There are sort of secondary and tertiary um, references to Albany Ale being in the Caribbean and being elsewhere. I'd love to see it prior to the advent of the Erie Canal. The, okay. the Erie Canal is really sort of a major Well, that's what engine. helped get it everywhere, right? Really not, helped. Not the beer itself. There's not a whole lot of record of the beer actually traveling west. There's a there is Albany gets a lock on distribution because it can get grain from okay. the west, whether that's western New York or western the Midwest. All right. And hops from central New York, right? Everything kind of comes down the canal on canal boats to Albany. The beer is made and then shipped south to New York City, and some of the beer is. Some of the beer stays in Albany, some of the beer stays in New York City, and some of the beer gets exported oh, out right. everywhere else. You do see some of the beer going down the canal, but you don't see... It's not, it's not hundreds of thousands of barrels of, of, of beer being exported. Like, you see, you see in Boston, you see them getting in, you know, large numbers of, of barrels from, from Albany Ale. Yep. We don't really have that record going up to the western part of New York. You see advertisements for Interesting. Albany in Western New York. Yeah. Like how we have advertisements for Chick-fil-A here, but we don't have a Chick-fil-A other than one in the airport on the secure side that mm. you can't get to. I like Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> like I, we they were make talking, a good sandwich. I'm going to be they, they have good chicken. Yeah. Like we were talking before this. I lived in the South for five or six years. I was spoiled. I'm from here. I moved okay. down there. 
got the joy of Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A. and then came back, right. and that joy was taken from yeah. me. Chick-fil-A. And there's people, like, on both sides of that Chick-fil-A. But I like a Chick-fil-A. It's it's quite good, so hopefully they'll open one outside of the actual airport. I think they are supposed to bring one in. I, they keep saying that. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> hopefully it'll do better than Krispy Kreme, because that didn't... That one, did, that died pretty quick. Yeah, it didn't take off. I remember the I remember the day it opened, just a huge line of cards, and then... Maybe not even a year later, yeah. out of business. I am a fan of the Sonic and Latham, though. I like that. I like. I see, like I had Sonic. those in the South too. When right, they were good. I like me. I like myself a banana milkshake from Sonic. There you go. So, what Here's, else you got for me? Oh, all right. You want more? I, I got like more. To talk. I don't know yeah, if you've, I, have you have never guessed. Have you been? Uh, you're only allowed to ask questions and not all right. not interject well, on anything else. All right, I'll send you another loaded question. Right. How bad do you think prohibition hurt Albany at the time, as it was growing with the Albany Ale? Was it a big factor? I mean, there was a lot of breweries and stuff operating prior to it. And then, like I said, I read through the abbreviated history on your website. And only about three of them were able to reopen after that. So between Albany, Hudson, Schenectady, Troy. I mean, was it really the kind of the the final nail in the the Albany Ale coffin at the time? The devil is in the details, right? So the area in general suffered... Uh, the national average, right, which is about 75% loss of breweries. Um, That's heartbreaking. Right. Hard to think about. What worked against Albany actually starts happening before Prohibition. Was it with you the st- creation of trains and the... Well, that has something to do with it. That has a, that has a decline in uh, the distribution of Albany Ale, okay. right? So Albany's lock with distribution because of the canal... When the when the the railroads build up after the Civil War, right? Every little podunk town can get beer ingredients in and beer out. So now you have more competition. The canal also brings not only does it bring in, uh, raw ingredients to Albany, it brings people away from Albany, right? So you have the, you have westward expansion. Okay. People are coming to Albany, but they're not staying in Albany. They're going. If you look at Albany's population between 1850. In 1950, it kind of goes up and peaks from 100,000 people to 150,000 people and then plateaus out, and we're about 100,000 people now, right? Yep. So our population hasn't changed. Whereas if you look at Rochester, Buffalo, Chicago, those those cities boomed, right? They were they were yeah. boom towns because of the canal. Albany's a lot older than those towns. It doesn't really benefit like they do. You also have people that are coming in and saying, I'm, not gonna, I'm a brewer, but I'm not going to stay in Albany and open a brewery because it's already breweries here. I'm going to go to some place that there are new villages and towns being formed. I'll open a brewery then. I'll have a lock on the market for a while. Yep. So that happens all the way to California. How prohibition affects Albany? Between 1900 and 1920, Lager really starts coming on strong. Mm-hmm. You start really seeing it making a big push in the 1880s. In the 1890s, it's really, it's really growing in popularity. The Northeast in general is ale producing. Yeah. And that's where you start seeing breweries closing because they're not large enough to compete on a national level. The breweries that you see that are doing really well are places like Beverwick, which is in, in the north of Albany, mm-hmm. which have both ale and lager producing facilities. The ale breweries in the northeast, when Prohibition rolls around, the places that have commercial refrigeration can continue to operate 
during prohibition. If you're in Aylbury, which doesn't have, you know, you don't you don't need commercial refrigeration. You need cool rooms that you can do underground or you can do with some ice, but you don't need commercial refrigeration. Huh. They can't they they can't make anything. Yeah. You can't make ice cream and you can't make cold products because you don't have the ref- commercial refrigeration. So you see in the run up to prohibition, especially between 1910 and 1920, you see some of these breweries start to collapse in on themselves. Yeah. And the ones that continue on are the ones that are making both ale and lager. Interesting. With the exception of of Hedrick, which is really a small brewery that closes and then uh, reopens in during Prohibition to make non-alcoholic beer. But in reality, they are making beer. <laughs> they, get, they get pinched <laughs> by the probies. The long story short, the head of the Democratic Party in the city of uh, in the county of Albany, I don't want to say he acquires the brewery, but yep. he is behind the brewery. You've got now a politician. You've got a, 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 a city boss. His name's Dan O'Connell, right? So he now uh, controls this brewery. He's controlling alcohol in the area. After prohibition, he buys it outright. Oh wow! Right. So so now you've got you've got the you've got a a, a powerful political person. A, a political boss, a, a 18th century style political boss operating in a post-prohibition world that is is controlling a beer, part of the beer trade. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, and you see that, you actually see it earlier than that. You see the guy that owns Beverwick. I was talking about them yeah. earlier. He's He was actually a mayor of the city of Albany. He's the first Irish-born mayor of the city of Albany. His name's Michael Nolan. His partner was a was a was an Irish politician you have this sort of um, late 19th century Irish neighborhood machine based politics starting at that point oh, yep. they own Beverwick they also own Quinn and Nolan which is an ale brewery so they've they've sort of got a lock on and they they do some strong arm te- techniques that you see in a post-prohibition America you see that in the in the late 19th century as well and it's it's funny because there's still some dry towns out there it's funny. An example of that, we, I went on a for a bachelor party. We did like one of those brew bus tours, and we ended up. You went to Argyle, right? Yep, that's yep. where exactly <laughs> where I was going with this. You knew where I was going. Yeah, it's Argyle Brewing Company, but the town of Argyle itself is a dry town, right. so they have to move to the town over to open the brewery. I want to know who the fuck is living in Argyle. Not I, that Argyle I don't know. is not I, a wonderful little town, I, but I yeah yeah I gotta I gotta have my beer. And my, I yeah my exactly. It was funny because I ended and I ended up buying a T-shirt on the back. It just says "Dry Town Wet Basements." <laughs> like that's awesome. So uh, I mean, we t- touched on the pump station here. What are some of the other oldest sites in Albany then that you've come across? Uh, as far as 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 brewery sites, yeah. Um, Anything that jumps out? Yeah, there, there, there's there's quite a few. If you if you actually want to see buildings that used to be breweries, there are three or four. I'm trying to I'm trying to like do them in my head. <laughs> the 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 most there's two that are excuse me I'm, I'm the, my my Albany Ale has gotten the best of me. Um, <laughs> I finished mine, so I'm feeling yeah, pretty good. You you threw the glass against the wall, and um, the two that are intact are Hankel Brewery, which in the early 1990s were converted converted to Apartments. All right. So they're on Park Avenue, down uh, south of Hackett Middle School. E- not south, east of Hackett Middle School. Okay. Um, n- not too far from the New York State Museum. Oh, sort of that, okay, sort of okay, all right. Now I know the area. Yeah. So that that that's a lager brewery uh, that operated until Prohibition. 
1850s, I think it started. The building itself dates to the 1880s. Um, the other one is the, there's a, there apparently is an, an apartment theme, the Knickerbocker Apartments on Jay and Dove in Lancaster was the old Amsdell Brewery. Knickerbocker was a big name in Albany. Well, Knickerbocker we, is... Like our big concert arena used to right. be Knickerbocker Arena at right. one point. So Knickerbocker was like the Washington Irving phone name for Dutch gentry. Okay. So it's, it's, it's 19th century. It's, it has no real historic context other than Washington Irving talking about, you know, sort of referencing Knickerbockers. The New uh, York Knicks, that's what they, they're the yep. Knickerbockers. But the Knickerbocker apartments, so it's sort of a nod to our Dutch heritage, but it's really not. So I was wrong. So, yeah, yeah, you're totally <laughs> and completely wrong. That's an intelli- Don't ever be wrong that again. That was the intelligent, nice way to say I was right. wrong. Right. Okay. That was, uh, was it intelligent and nice? Because I'm doing my job wrong. I'm telling myself that. Uh, if this so I feel the better. internet, I would tell you off. Um, <sighs> this is going sideways. In, in any case, so though that brewery building, it, right now it's an apartment complex. That is the old Amsdell Brewery. That dates to the early 1850s. Okay. Um, if you go to the north part of the city, there is uh, Stout, the bar Stout. Yeah. Uh, that was... The, originally the Kirk Brewery, which dates to the 1840s. Really? I had no idea. Yeah, so that it's, building, it's, uh, that facade out there was their main brewing building. And for anyone that doesn't know, Stout's a rather large Irish bar. Yeah. Right in, in downtown Albany here. And if you go down <laughs> North Ferry Street, you can still see the Schaefer Brewing Bottling, Schaefer Brewery Bottling Facility, which sits where Quinn and Nolan was. All right. Um, if you go around the block on Lawrence, North Lawrence, don't quote me on that. Uh, you can see. I the won't because I don't know myself. Right, I don't know. I don't know where <laughs> that is. You can see the um, foundation of the Beverwick Brewery, and then if you really want to do something cool, you can walk down Learned Street. So you have Silver Fox uh, Architectural Salvage on the corner. Walk down there and go to like 34 Learned Street, and that is actually where Bill Newman opened his brewery in the early 1980s and Bill's claim to fame and this is how the whole thing goes from the Dutch in the 17th century to the 20th and 21st century Bill is really considered one of if not the first I don't want to call him a craft brewer because that's sort of a new term brew pub it's not a brew pub he was a commercial brewery but he was the first microbrewery on the East Coast. Awesome. Right? So yeah. this whole sort of resurgence, the craft beer revolution, has a lot of its roots in Albany. Bill had a brewery, and he had a, he had a, 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 he had a, a staunch following of a few college kids and some people who like, liked good beer at the time. They didn't want to be drinking uh, low and brow and, yeah. and those sort of popular impulses. Well, it was beers. funny. I joked when we were sitting at the bar earlier, as I've gotten older, it's become certainly more about quality than quantity. And Bill was catering to those people in the early 1980s, all the way up into the early 1990s. And there's plenty of people in Albany that are of a certain age that completely remember Bill. Oh, yeah. I like to think it's not that long ago, and then I feel old. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it wasn't a particularly lucrative job, right? So... What he did was he held seminars on how to open your own brewery and how to... Well, 
Yeah, that it kind of exploded for a little bit, and then a lot of those places ended up falling by the wayside. Right. Yeah. But but what Bill did was Bill brought in these young guys outside of Albany, and the most notable one of them uh, was a kid from Boston who comes in and takes Bill's classes and then says, I don't know if I agree with everything that he says, but I've got some money and I've got a couple of ideas and goes off and opens the Boston Beer Company. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Jim Cook is now a billionaire, sort of. Good old Sam Adams. Yeah. Sam Adams. The guy who found Sam Adams is is sort of a, 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 Bill Newman's a, a mentor Oh, wow. I did not know that. And that was that Sam. I went to and I visited their brewery last year. And it's really, I mean, it's small, but it's really cool. Because their spot in Boston, they basically handle their new experimental type recipes with a lot of their main distribution and making coming out of Cincinnati or something like that. And Bill still lives in the area. They just did a project. I don't know the other guy's name, but they just did a project of doing stuff for the track in Saratoga. Oh, really? Yeah. So he's involved with that. You know, he's... He took a long hiatus from the beer world, um, but he's sort of coming back. You know, he's sort of putting his mark back on what's happening in, in beer. Well, today, that brings so. about an interesting question. I mean, I mentioned it it kind of died off a little bit. What do you, on, obviously, if you've been in Albany anytime recently over the last few years, breweries, brew pubs, whatever you want to call them, are popping up left and right. What do you think is sparked the comeback? Is it just a change in culture? Well, I think people like beer and I think that there is I think five or six years ago maybe more than that now maybe eight or nine years ago with the advent of the nano brewery whether the business model works in the long term or not I can't really speak to because I'm not in the business yep but the idea that in order to open a brewery you had to at the very minimum have a seven to ten barrel brewing system, okay, which is very expensive to do. Has it's not cheap to open a brewery. Right. Well, I learned, I learned small, that early even on. Even smaller than that, it's yeah. not cheap. But opening a two barrel brewing system and having it not work, you're not going to lose your shirt, right? Yep. You're not going to have to like um, go into debtor's prison. <laughs> so you I can, think, you can I still think, come back when you fail. Yes, I think that the change in the model. Was is really what ended up happening, and I think you know I think that the farm brewery movement to some extent, too, I think that the state's willing to work a little bit more with its uh, craft beverage producers. I think there, I think that's what it is. I think there is a demand. Number one, I think that there is more opportunity to do mm-hmm. it. I think that there's more available loans and there's more money. I mean, it, at I mean, the same time, I don't necessarily think that everybody that opens makes amazing beer oh i think i think that i think that there's there is a natural culling out of the businesses that should be open and shouldn't be open regardless of where whether you're making shitty beer you're just shitty a shitty businessman yeah woman for that matter they kind of have to go hand in hand right but i think that there is i think there's just more opportunity for beer is what it comes (laughs) down to i think there's there's you know and it's funny i i mean if you watch there was a point where if I watch TV long enough, I'll eventually see a commercial. New York has become quite the friend to craft breweries yeah. and people wanting to start up a craft. I got to be honest. Company. I think I think the big thing is is that the distributors, you have craft focused distributors, whether they're New York based or whether they're outside New York based, um, that 
the even large distributors that have been around for decades are now seeing the value in craft. And in, in value, I mean that they realize that they can actually make money, that they don't have to necessarily rely solely on their big macro lager brands. Yep. That they can also make money. And that was that was a big stumbling block for years and years and years that the distributors just didn't want to distribute product because they weren't making any money on it. It was, it was more of a pain for them to try to sell blah blah blahs beer when they could sell Budweiser, Bud Light, or, Bud, yeah. or, or Michelob, or any of those beers. Now, I, the distributors are starting to come around and saying, I think that there is, there's some money. Although I hear rumblings, you know, I heard somebody shut down, they laid off a whole bunch of their craft uh, reps, and I don't know. You know, that's a, that's a business that I really can't speak too deeply on. Mm-hmm. Because it changes so quickly that I just it, it really does. You know, let's talk about your book. Let's talk about I'm my curious book. about it. I yeah. mentioned it earlier. Upper Hudson Valley beer. Yeah, I picked up a copy over the weekend. Would you like to know where you can buy that book? I know where I bought this copy, <laughs> and that was the bookstore <laughs> in Stuyvesant Plaza in Albany. The the bookhouse. The bookhouse, which it was my first time in there, and it's a great store. It's yeah. really nice. At what point did you decide you wanted to put together a book then? So Alan, you you and Alan both are co-authors on the book, right? Yeah, Alan yeah. was really the impetus behind the book. Alan was writing a book about, uh, and it's sort of the same tack that we took with this book, which is contextualizing beer within the greater history of this area. He did the same thing with Ontario. Okay. And and did an, an Ontario book with our publisher. And being the, the quite the businessman that he is. When he, and I don't know if he was approached by them or he approached them. I, I, well, I don't know the whole story behind that. He also made the suggestion. He wrote, he wrote the Ontario book with another co-author, uh, Jordan uh, St. John, who is a, a beer writer as well uh, in, in Ontario. He said, oh, I'm writing this book. You know, like, if you want to write this book, I'm doing it with Jordan. But I also have my buddy Craig in Albany who's writing a book. And so... Yep. Uh, he got the best of both worlds. Oh, all right. That, right. Um, Sounds like he's profiting a lot off other people's work. Right. No, 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 <laughs> no, no. He's a solid. He's also a lawyer. Don't say that. He's a little sue me. So he knows he how to work the, the system. off of me. He did, he did good. No, he, he realized that there was a, um, a vacuum in beer writing for the American market that didn't deal with, with European beer. Okay. Way, way before I did. I mean, he came to me and was like, do you want to write a book? And I was like, okay, I'll write a book. What are, how, is that a lot of work? Um, he, 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 he saw that opportunity, and I give him credit for taking – I give him credit for saying to me, do you want to do this? Because he could have done it himself mm-hmm. without me. Uh, <laughs> nowhere near with as much panache. Of course but, not. But, you know, that being said, he, he – he, he really, uh, and he's been writing about beer for a way lot longer than than I have. And I got to be honest, Alan's been writing about beer for a way lot longer than a lot of people have. So it was. I, I, I feel like I'm I'm sucking up to Alan, but I do have to give him credit for for sort of opening the door to this for me. Well, speaking of Panage, I had uh, mentioned earlier that's one impressive mustache. The mustache. The mustache. Yes. It was fun. I was sitting at the bar. And uh, I just happened to look out the window when I saw you walking upstairs, walking through the up the stairs, through the door. I saw the mustache. I'm like, that's got to be the oh, guy. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Great. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
It's got the curls yes. at the end and everything. Yeah, it's got the curls at the end. Everyone, do you have to use everyone, a wax for that? I do. I, in fact, I, I have a, a good friend of mine Sadly, I who can't works gr- with somebody that was growing out their mustache. I got a text from him. He's like, hey, Nick's growing out his mustache. What wax do you use? I use Clubman, Clubman uh, mustache wax. Everybody loves it. Uh, men compliment it more often than women does. There's one major exception for the people who, who like and don't like my mustache is my wife. She is not a fan. No, I think she's a she's bigger still... fan of the mustache than the beard. But well, it, then let me ask this. Did you have it when you proposed and got married? Oh, then? no, no, no. Oh, okay. Way, way after. So you way trapped after. her and then you grew it. Right. Okay. Liking, liking the mustache over the beard, is the, it, it, I equate it to liking a bee sting versus a wasp sting. <laughs> right? <laughs> Nobody really likes it, but uh, we'll, I we'll like take it. the bee sting. Yeah, it, I'm also... Thank you. I also can't grow facial hair full enough to provide any... You've got some good scruff Grow anything there. respectable, yeah. I feel but like. But at the same time, you have... You have, you have the, the hair that sort of peaks in the front, yeah. and I have no hair, so I am I am jealous of, <laughs> of the fact that you have hair. You and 95% of the rest of the population have hair. I'm, I'm jealous. Well, the mu- jealous. Is, so you're overcompensating with the mustache? Is that what you're telling me? Okay. Absolutely. Uh, Although I had the mustache before I shaved my head, but now... Amy wasn't crazy about me shaving my head either, but she's grown to, she's grown to Again, that. she's already trapped. Right, yeah, I know. That's my, I have a rule. You can tell me to do anything, baby. I love you, except when it comes to facial hair. That's my domain. <laughs> That's the one rule. My kids love it, though. They think it's the greatest of course. thing ever. So, uh, <laughs> back to the book. Back to the <laughs> what was the hardest part of putting that together, then? <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm thinking back on it. So, the writing part was actually pretty pretty easy. I'm not... I'm not I really enjoy doing the beer research. I don't. And I, re- and I love talking about beer. Oh, yes. I don't like writing about beer. I don't like the process of writing. Alan sort of saved the day on that. He, he, Alan, writes a lot for his job. He is a good writer. I write for the sake that I have to put something down because if I don't, I'll forget it. Yep. So very quickly in developing this book, the publisher said, we need images in the book. I went to all my sources that I knew to get images for it. I am a graphic designer and exhibit designer by trade, so I am a visual person. So doing that, I thought, was going to be easy. And man, was it a pain in the ass. <laughs> Holy shit, was it a pain in the ass. Um, I am very, 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 very grateful to the Albany Institute, the Albany Institute of History and Art. If you've never been to, to Albany, you've never been to the museum, I highly recommend going to their... To it is a really museum. nice place. It, it's, it's fantastic. And they were so awesome. They... they they gave us their photos, right? They they knew they saw the inherent value in this book, and we did a lot of programs with them that they could promote their museum if they gave us this, this photos. I will say right now, don't ask them for photos. Pay them for their photos. <laughs> okay. Really, that is their bread and butter. They were very nice to do that for us, and it was sort of this exchange of goods, but there's no way that I could have put this book together without their help across the board it's awesome that they were so helpful they really were amazing on it and and we we did the book launch with them we did a 1901 beer recreation with them actually with these guys when ryan was here we did that that recreation i got images from other sources and once all the historical images were put together which was great and i was like i'm done publisher was like (laughs) oh hey do you have any um you know, like modern pictures of beer, and I was like, modern pic- what? What are you talking about? 
<laughs> no, I don't have any modern pictures. Well, we really want to put some like glamour shots of beer, and I'm like, this is getting all creepy. And they're like, well, we have a photographer, but if you use a photographer, it's going to come out of your bottom line. And I was like, fuck that. So I went and I borrowed a buddy of mine's camera, and I went to the Lionheart in Albany, yep. and I went to Browns, and There's I went no to There's no shortage a of dudes. places. Yeah, and I just like put the photo up and took a picture, like cocked the 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 camera. Make at it a look art- artsy. Oh, they were happy. Yeah, they were artsy artsy <laughs> beer porn photos. Uh, beer I don't porn. Know, apparently, I like the sound of beer, that. Beer beer porn. Yeah, sure. I mean it's. It, this was like before Instagram and all that kind of really took off with people taking pictures of their beer and posting it online. Oh, yeah. So I was doing that in 2013, 2014 in preparation for the book. But 2012, 2013. So I was the only loser in <laughs> in these bars. Like I would roll up and be like, "Order, can I, can I get a pint of your order beer? Order and a drink. Oh, and by the way, a can you spread everybody out so I can take pictures of this <laughs> of this beer? Like, yeah. I was in the forefront of There you go. Of, of, of you gram, set off of another revolution. Gear. Right. I am to this day you're, not on Instagram. You're a forefather. So let's talk about these walking tours because I bought a ticket for September 12th. Excellent. These historical brew tours. The downtown, the downtown beer tour. That you that started doing. The, so that. you lead these walks around downtown Albany or various parts of Albany, right? So to loop back through uh, to discover Albany, we were talking about them earlier. My buddy Maeve... I actually went to her and said, I want to do like some sort of, like we were talking about when the, when the duck boats were in town, I want to do something with them. And they, that never came to fruition. And I was like, why don't we just do like neighborhood focused beer tours? And it comes back to like contextualizing beer. It was an amazing amount of work, like putting all of this stuff together. What was it really? Yeah. I mean, I knew the research and I could figure out like the map of where we had to go but Maeve did like the promotional stuff and like putting us into contact with different sponsor groups of like the restaurants where we could come in. And the whole deal is like you come, you get a happy hour price because we start a happy hour, but you get a ticket. And when we get back after an hour and a half or yep. whatever, you get happy hour process for the, for the rest of the night and discover Albany and their, their taste and traditions program. They, she and the group just did, like really and truly an amazing job of putting all of this stuff together. That's we awesome. Do, we do another thing which is called Proust with uh, Discover Albany. It's where we team up with our historic house and we talk about like beer from a specific era. Um, we did Tenbrook Mansion. Um, Samantha Saladino is a good friend of mine. She's the director at that at that historic house. If all you've right. never been there, hopefully we'll be doing another Proust event there. We've got some stuff planned for the winter to talk about like. So you're in these historic homes and talking about historic beer, right? And, and oh, yeah. contextualizing all of it. And that's what all of these things do. It also gives an opportunity for people to walk around neighborhoods that they may have never walked around. Like, people walk around Center Square, but... I've been through Albany a number of times, but I don't know the history for yeah, the, a lot of the buildings Yeah, have you ever walked around, like, yeah. downtown, like, Broadway? Yeah. So we're going to do Broadway and a little bit of uh, Pearl Street. And we're, we're not just talking about beer. We're talking about... Like how the American Revolution affected beer. Oh, yeah. And we're talking about how Prohibition affected beer. If you're a history buff, if you like beer, if you're into both, and and what kind of beer what kind of beer like the Dutch drank and why they drank the beer that they did and why the beer that they drank was different than what was being drank in colonial Massachusetts. All of the programs that we do through Discovery Albany, that's what it's about. It's about exposing people to different forms of history of the city of Albany and how extensive the history of the city of Albany is, and we're also tacking on beer. 
and <laughs> and like telling that story through sort of I always say like beer colored goggles. Yeah. So, I love it. I love being able to do that. That's awesome, and I'm definitely looking forward to the September twelfth one. Come on, Excellent. it's a boozy good time. <laughs> it better be. I wear a top hat. That's I've seen the advertisement. Mm. You did have a top hat on mm, you. I do have a top hat. Do you you wear it as we go along talking to place? I start. In, in costume and end in costume. And then you get to drink with me, which um, is not as horrible as it sounds. <laughs> in, in the top hat, it'll look Can fun. I try on the top hat? I have a... I have a uh, Strict no a, top. A, well, okay. I don't have a problem with loaning the top hat out. The problem with it is, is my head is like peanut small. Okay. So with your luxurious locks and, and I don't know if it would I'll you can put it on the top of your head but it may perch precariously up there so. all right I'll give it a try yeah what do you think's been the biggest change in brewing culture then since the Albany Ale days what have you seen that's oh man that's, that's a loaded a, question yeah huh? what's the biggest yeah. thing that's changed in brewing since uh, I caught you off guard on that one 1950s obviously technology has advanced but yeah I mean I think that the there were different attitudes towards drinking in the 19th century. You know, there were people... Beer was, beer was pretty ubiquitous. And I don't want to necessarily do, throw it to the, well, you couldn't drink the water, so everybody drank beer. You know, like, that's a kind of a cop-out. I think, I think people drank beer because it was part of the culture to drink yep. beer. I think alcohol in general was, was a bigger part of the culture. I think Prohibition had a lot to do with um, sort of mucking that up. The industrialization of beer from the mid-19th century to the mid-20th century, and then, and then from that point, the uh, monetizing and the ability to market beer effectively from the mid, let's say, the, the post-prohibition era until the 1970s, which is when everything gets focused. There's this idea that lager kills ale and lager, you know, the, the, the idea of the fizzy yellow beer coming out of prohibition. In my mind, that's a 1950s to 1970s phenomenon of the culmination. Maybe this is because I have an advertising background. Uh, the culmination of radio advertising, print advertising, outdoor advertising, and television advertising all coming together. You okay. only have so many advertising dollars that you can spend. You're going to focus that money on your best-selling brand. Yeah. Uh, and the best-selling brands happen to be the light lager that we know and some of us love today, some of us dislike today. That's a that's a that's a a mid to late twentieth century phenomenon. Well, it's funny because I'll that, see. That's com- my belief. It's funny because I'll see commercials for like Bud Light, Miller Light, things like that. I'm like, do they really need to advertise at this point? They're just so out there, and they've been there for yeah. so long. Uh, there's there's a real misconception that was happening at, after Prohibition that everything was American light lager. And that's really not the case. You see a lot of see IPA being made. You see Scotch Ales being made. You see um, Stock Ales still being made. Brown Stouts still being made. Not everywhere, not all over the place, but there was, there was a, a, a broader selection of beer being made in the post-Prohibition era. The sort of... Uh, amalgamation of beer happens later. It happens in 1950s, 1960s, right. 1970s. And that at that point you have the sort of the, the, the start of the craft beer revolution, the microbreweries that are coming in, starting on the West Coast and sort of eventually making it to the East Coast. Yeah. Today, you know, I think that there is a lot of 
I think there's a lot of false innovation that's happening in, in craft beer well, today. Well, this ties in quite well to my next question. Where do you see brewing going? Do you see it going in any particular direction? I don't know if trend brewing is anything new. New England IPAs. Yeah. Black IPAs before that. Just kind of based uh, on. Brute IPAs. I, don't, <laughs> I feel like I'm saying IPA a lot. Uh, They've exploded. Right. And there is, I think there's something to be said for IPA, and this is really and truly a discussion for another podcast. <laughs> but I'll I think happily that, do it. I yeah. think that IPA has really, really become uh, just simply a, a moniker for selling beer. And it always has been. <laughs> um, you know, what? what is, you know, what is and I don't want to say that New England IPA isn't isn't an IPA. You know, like the hallmark of IPAs were their, their bitterness, and I understand that beer changes over time. Believe me, trust me. If there's anybody on the face of the earth that understands that beer evolves over time, it's me. But I think, like I said, I think there's a lot of false innovation in beer out there, and I think that there's a lot of. And people have been saying this for a while. It's, like I'm not, I'm not coming out and saying anything new. And I don't want to be one of those guys. I don't want to be the naysayer. It's like, beer shouldn't have this in it, and beer shouldn't have that in it. But I think that there is a lot of excuse brewing. I okay. think there's a lot of people that are putting things. And I don't want to. Again, I don't want to come off like I'm bashing brewers. Yeah. Because I'm not. But I think that there is a lot of opportunity to make good beer that doesn't get made. Yep. And I understand. I understand some of that. I understand that you have to make the beer that people want to drink, and sometimes that means putting stuff into a beer or trying to appear like you're innovative. I just think sometimes it gets carried away. I, I can see that, yeah. So uh, the last actual question I had before we move into some listener questions to really wrap things up. We have listener questions. I have. Is there people that are actually listening to this I have, live? I don't, no, not live. Oh, not live. Not live. No. I'm not that advanced. What do you think Albany's place is in uh, when it comes to the great cities of beer? Ooh, the great cities of beer. Great, I mean, it's, it's great ha- beer cities. It's hard today or that, uh, or, or, or in history. Let's just say in history. I don't know. What's the easiest answer? It's it's and there's no. Easy. <laughs> like it sounded, it sounded like a good question right. when I thought of it. So so it's hard to compare Albany to someplace like London. You know, like I mean, the industry is. Uh, just well, so let's much stick larger. to American cities. So I think that Albany, for a good portion it's of its history, built on it now. What w- was one of the major brewing centers of North America, and I think that Albany's legacy is that it has four hundred years or nearly four hundred years of of brewing and a brewing backbone. I think that, I mean, I would love to see moving forward. I would love to see more breweries opening in Albany. And I don't, again, I don't, I'm not in, I'm not a brewer. Yep. So I don't know what's preventing more breweries from, from not opening in Albany. I see breweries opening in Schenectady and I see breweries opening in Troy. Yeah. And I, there, you know, there, there's clearly this place that's been here for years. There's. Uh, Fort Orange, but I, I would love to see more and more breweries open in Albany to capitalize on that history again. Whether they're commercial breweries, whether they're brew pubs, whether they're little nano breweries, I want to see that. I want yep. to see the city to recapitalize on its on its beer history and 
and move forward in the 21st century. That'd be awesome. Right. I mean, let's... I don't think I'm any different than anybody else in any, you know, it could be, we could be in lunch meat, Kansas right now. I think people are saying the same thing, right? I want to see the, you know, I want to see lunch meat IPA. Um, I want to see, uh, I want to see, I want to see more beer in Albany and I want to see people embrace this really cool industrial history that a lot of people may not understand. I, I, I hope. There's a uh, lot of it. I certainly did not know, but like I said, before I stumbled across, your website and the book and everything. Yeah, you know, I mean, Alan Kingston has its own connections to people who lived in Albany that have left Albany, yep. uh, loyalists during the American Revolution. My connection, you know, and, that, and that's cool. Like, I, I think he appreciates the city of Albany. My connection is that I, I, I live in the city of Albany. Like, my, my, my mailing address is Albany, New York. Oh, yeah? Like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't born here, but I really do... I want to promote the city of Albany and I want to promote not just me selling books and not just me, not just me, you know, being able to do beer tours. Really. My wife will attest that we have made very little money (laughs) on a whole lot of work, but I really feel like it's a way for Albany to recognize itself. Okay. And, And I, I think that there have been a lot of efforts by the city and by other groups in Albany to get people to understand its own history. And there's a little fear and loathing in the Capital District. There's a little people, a lot of, quite a people who don't want to embrace that history and don't want to embrace, uh, I don't want to say embrace it, but they, they, they are uninterested by it or they want to naysay it. And if I can introduce anybody to any aspect of the city of Albany's history through beer that they can do over a pint, yep. I'm, I'm down for that. And this is this podcast is a perfect example. Well, this is one of the reasons I started it. I like I was talking about. I love going to new places, checking it out, having a beer, and just talking to whoever I sit down next to. Yeah, you learn a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I want to wrap up with some listener questions. I got listener uh, questions. Yeah, I got a few que- just two or three questions here. Aaron Sturdivant from Horror with Sir Sturdy, which is a podcast about horror. About As, horror. A horror story. All right. Horror, not horror. Yep. H O O R. Yeah. Right. Hey, yep. Okay. H- I got. I got. I got what you're getting at. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his first question was, "What's a good local beer?" I'm gonna have to default to the Albany Ale here the, since, yeah, we've, uh, <laughs> since we've been uh, drinking the, that. The, the C H Evans Albany. But uh, more interesting. Yeah. More interesting one. Are, have you come across anything horror-related themed type beers in your research? Horror-related. Horror. Related. Right. Yes. <laughs> I love how you keep correcting me. I. I horror, I'm gonna work on uh, my pronunciation here. I'm saying it too horror. quickly. Horror. Uh, um, Anything that jumps out? I can't think of well, anything. Well, yeah, I mean, I can think of, like, you know, you got Rogue Dead Guy, you've got... We talked about um, death in our beer from the bad right. water. I mean, I have a couple of, I have a couple of like, uh, stories about folks who've, who've had not s- some great ends. I don't know if they're, they're that are Albany beer related. <laughs> I wouldn't say whore, you know, but there's, like... Nightmare Porter out of, at some brewery in, in England makes it. Um, there's a bunch of Halloween beers that oh, come yeah. out all the time. You know, like Iron Maiden put out the like the Trooper beer, which has got Eddie. <laughs> I don't know if that's horror. Um, Iron Maiden might as well be close enough. Yeah, I mean, don't get me don't get me wrong. I'm a big Iron Maiden fan. I, I have I was never a big fan. I respect them. Like, I can respect the scene. I'm like, I enjoy Metallica. Right. I'm going to see him next month. So. Uh, uh, like, do I know of anything specifically 
Warby. I, I haven't come know. across anything in Albany. I mean, there, not, not, but the, I mean there's beers out there get out there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Anthony Rossi from Video Game Crosstalk. Do you see a correlation between all the craft breweries and pubs opening up and the rise of geek culture? So, uh, a lot yeah. of drunk nerds out there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. You think they kind of go hand in hand to an extent? Well, the, the, the beer history nerd thing, definitely, right? There's, there, there's a good con- contingency of people on the internet who are telling other people that they're wrong. <laughs> yes. 100%. I've never heard of such a thing. But, yes. Is there? I think I that, you I know, mean, and, 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 and there, there. I don't see it too much anymore. Okay, but I do see. I do see that there were uh, like the super fans and the fanboys that maybe three or four years ago that sort of adopted. You know, people adopt hobbies and then maybe get a little too obsessed with the hobbies and yep. and really when you get online it really does become a little combative not a little combative a lot combative well honestly it seems like if you get in an argument every argument ends with a hitler or nazi reference right yeah right with beer i've seen that sort of um happily dissolve i mean i think that they're still it's because they're drinking while they're typing well, and they feel better still, by the end still, of it there's still dickheads out there it's still douchebags that t- will tell you like I like this beer. Oh, yeah. No, you're wrong, and this is why you're wrong. Yep. And this is where I just came to the, to the conclusion that I don't want to deal with those no, people. Beer, beer is supposed to bring people together. Yeah. That's the way I see right. it. And, 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 and for me, I don't give a fuck what you drink. Drink whatever the hell you want to drink. Like, yeah, what do no, I care really. what you're going to drink? I'm not going to tell you that you're wrong because you like, you, 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 you like a beer or you don't like a beer. And I'm I am glad to see that that um, your wrong mentality with something that you like, like I, I am not gonna I'm not gonna bash somebody because they want to drink Blue Moon, like whatever you want to drink Blue Moon, whatever. Well, don't you know that Blue Moon is owned by this and their business practices or whatever? I got other shit to do. I've, I've got, got better I've got, got better kids, things got, yeah, to do. Yeah, I, I don't want to get into that, and 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 I'm glad to see that that really has gone by the by the wayside. Now, that's not to say that the people don't get into stupid arguments about beer. I, th- I think that if you want to equate that sort of geek culture, there's a lot of like the untapped, there's a lot of like sort of the beer ticker thing where that's, you know, like I want to collect as, as oh, many yeah, beers yeah. as I can. Like, yep. I, can I, it, it, is there a direct correlation between beer culture, or geek culture and beer culture? Maybe. I mean, I think it's sort of a related thing, but I don't know if it's. I don't. I don't know how closely. Yeah. I mean, I don't, what do you think? I don't, I don't know. know. It's kind of hard you're, to. Ju- you're, well, you're I, apparently beer geeky and. and I do geeky. enjoy. I always like. I said I always enjoy trying new craft beers and everything, and I love video games. Right. <laughs> right. So you're beer geeky. And, and geeky. I, yeah, cool. I was going. In fact, I was. Um, I went to the old English. Pretty much walking distance from right here right one day. Yeah. Sitting at the bar one summer day or night, I don't remember. Another guy sits down next to me, has tattoos all over his arm. I noticed the, <laughs> I noticed the one tattoo because it's from the video game Skyrim. I'm like, did you have a Skyrim tattoo? Right. And I've, I pumped a lot of time into that game, probably about 175 hours or right. something like that. So there you go. And I thought that was excessive. And then he's like, I played it three times. I've got like 500 hours into it. I go, yeah. holy shit. Right. I'm also a raging alcoholic. Yeah, <laughs> you might as well have finished with that. Well, you know. It, it so I mean, you, I, th- I think there's a 
connection to some extent for I, sure. I think, yeah. I think that there's a similar mindset. For me, having started my professional career outside of beer in a brewery and having been in that, and I'm not super old. I'm 44 years old, right? So, I, 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 but I've sort of watched the trajectory of. I said it right. Trajectory. Trajectory. Watch the the trajectory of um, micro brews into the brew pub, the, the sort of the, the the decline of the brew pub in the late nineties, the rise of craft beer. Yep. I've been able to kind of sit back and watch that and see and, and watch the whole arc of it. I completely forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> Can we? Is there, there's a tape. We can rewind. I can edit that we, stuff out. We can rewind that tape. Um, I don't remember asking. <laughs> All right. And then that 9.7. That seems like it's, it's, that and it seems was such a, an amazingly clear, valid. I was on the edge of my point. seat. You're like, I yes. Was. Yes. Terrectory. Losing. Pterodontal. Forgetting about what we're talking about seems like a good place to uh, go into yeah. <laughs> Go into the outro here. Oh, man. Wow. Did I end <laughs> on a sour note there? Like, I don't remember what I'm talking about. So I think that's going to do it for this Wait, episode. There's no more reader? No, that's all I had. Like, I, hey, I'm new to this. Man. man. Sorry, man. Uh, so. <laughs> all right. So that's going to do it for this episode. I'd like to thank my guest, Craig Gravina. Gravina? Yeah, you got it. Okay. Gravina. 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 Gravina okay. sounds <laughs> a little dirty. It, okay. <laughs> or clinical. Uh, so thanks again Ooh. for being on the show. I really appreciate you hanging out, going over the history, sharing some drinks, sharing some stories. Yeah. Be sure to ch- go and check out the Albany Ale Project website if you're certainly more interested in uh, the history behind some a lot of the brewing in Albany here. Uh, you guys are also on Facebook, too. How can people get a hold of you? Uh, they have. Like I know you're you always do, looking for more research. And it, yeah, if anybody has anything on anything, go to the mm-hmm. Albany Hill Project um, on Facebook. That's our that's our our primary. Like we have the website, uh, which probably needs a little updating. You can go to albanyhillproject.com. Check that out. Uh, but our but our sort of m- main interface with the rest of the world is probably through Facebook. All right. Um, it's a closed group. Just to you know, like we, because we get a lot of advertisers coming oh, yeah. on and be like, buy sunglasses. Yep. So just come on and say, I want to join, and and we'll we'll put you on. We don't do a whole lot of updating out there, but if you've got something that you got a question about, we're we're always happy to answer questions and and uh, or if you've got uh, old brewing records, you've got old Buriana, you want to put a photo up, we're happy to do that too. So, awesome. Yeah. And certainly be sure to check out the book if you can find it at the Troy Bookstore. If you can or- find it. <laughs> Certainly, uh, I had uh, trouble. Man. Wah, well, wah, no, wah. I say that because they were out, but they had more coming in. Wait, oh, oh, all right. Uh, I, I had to go to two bookstores only because they had more on order. Right. Because you'll you be should, doing yeah, some book going. signings and he stuff like that. Books at multiple bookstores. Yes, which is everyone out the there should do that. As bookstore well. in Troy, there, Market Block Books. I believe you'll be doing a signing and tasting that, right? I think. No, I no, that was a long time ago. Oh, right, it's on our website, which is why our website needs so, a little updating. Okay. <laughs> Full circle. I feel like an ass. Yeah. Well, okay. that's all right. As well, long as you I buy p- the book, you can I picked up my copy of the book at the, <laughs> the book house in Stuyvesant Plaza. So be sure to check out Upper Hudson Valley Beer. Uh, you and, of course, Alan McLeod. McLeod, yeah. McLeod, all right. Co-authors there. Be sure to check out one of the brew tours if you can. I'm really looking forward to September 12th. Definitely come out to that. The Absolutely. more the merrier. We love, we love that. That's uh, And 
as much fun as I am on a one-on-one conversation, you should really see me in a crowd. <laughs> really? I'm, I stun. I ha- I, <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> how do you, all right, never mind. I don't know how, how to follow that, that up. All right. <laughs> so thanks, everyone, out there for checking out the show. Uh, next time you're in the Albany area, Albany area, certainly stop by the Albany pump station here. Enjoy some of the great beers from C.H. Evans Brewing, some of the great food as well. You can find Stories from a Bar on Facebook. Certainly follow the show on Twitter, on Instagram at Stories F-A-B, Stories Fab. And as always, you can find the show on iTunes, Podbeam, Stitcher, Google Play. I even got the show up on YouTube now. Not the first few episodes because I'm still trying to figure that one out. I know, really. Certainly, if you can, please subscribe. And more importantly, leave a fantastic five-star review. I know you want to. I know it's a great show. Spread the word. And until next time, cheers. Cheers.